Welcome to the new Jodhuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week we continue our series on Bagwajong Master and founder of the art Dung Hai Chuan. This week we discuss uh, Yu Jing Ru's book on Bagwajong and his version of Dung Hai Chuan's life. Uh, then we break down a couple more of the the 36 songs and 48 methods of Bagwajang uh, from Andrea Falk and Frank Allen's books. And then on our Patreon this week, we continue our series on the eight bodies of Taoism, which pairs up nicely with the Bagua stuff because it, we talk a lot about how the the eight bodies relate to practicing Bagwajang. In addition to that, there's also lots of interviews and other content, bonus episodes. And we'll be having a couple more uh, interviews coming up pretty soon. We've already recorded them. Just got to edit them and put them out. So stay tuned. Hope you enjoy the episode. And thanks for listening. So turning back to our discussion about Dong Ai Chuan, the mysterious martial arts master who founded Bagua Zhang in the late 1800s. We've heard a couple stories about him now, and so I wanted to turn to a couple more paragraphs from the book Dragon Stretches Its Claws by Liu Jingru and C.S. Tang, published by the Hong Kong Martial Arts Magazine 2001. All right, so here's another story about Master Dong. It says, Baguazhang began to be widely known when Dong Aichuan, its founder, started to teach it in Beijing. Before coming to Beijing, he had learned a lot of martial arts in his home village in the city of Wenan. In order to widen his experience, he decided to travel around. One day, while walking in the mountains, he came upon two Taoist monks practicing martial arts. He asked if he could learn, and the Taoist monks took him to their master, Bi Dengxia. Dong stayed on and practiced under Bi for many years. While Dong was learning the martial art, his master would frequently encourage him to become a Taoist monk. Dong always declined the invitation. When he had at last finished with his learning and was about to leave the mountain, his master said to him, You may not become a monk now, but one day when a difficult situation arises, you will then be a monk. At that time, Dong did not understand the significance of these words. At a much later time, when he got into some serious trouble and had to purify himself, quotes, to avoid paying the penalty for his guilt, he had to renounce his family and had to become castrated to become a eunuch. As his master foresaw, he had now become a monk. So his master predicted that he would someday become a monk. Hmm. That's, and, a, that's a very different story than most of the other ones. Right? right? Well, but it is show him as a eunuch. Which, yeah. uh, which many of but, them do. Right, but it gives a reason. And right. Most of them just say, oh, you know, he went to the palace and got right. this is like, you know. Yeah. He paid the price to avoid paying the penalty for his guilt. Well, that's that was one of the more common reasons that people became eunuchs was to, like, pay off a debt or, you know. Avoid a worse penalty of some kind. Yeah. Yeah, but it was predictable. I'm not sure what would be much worse than that. <laughs> right? I mean, it's pretty close situation. So, going on, he, he goes to work in the palace of a Manchu prince, Prince Su. And then one day, um, there was a demonstration by the uh, bodyguard Sha, demonstrating his skill in front of Prince Su's friends. On that day, Sha performed his skills in the courtyard with a crowd gathered there to watch. The crowd so blocked the walkways to the courtyard that when the prince ordered to have tea brought in to serve the guests, none of the servants could get through the crowd into the courtyard. With little ado, Dong Ai Chuan leaped over the roof into the courtyard with tea in his hands and began to serve the prince and the guests. 
once again, the Gunga Chuan as waiter. That's one right, that but seems it, common. It, it seems to kind of weave the other stories that we Right, you know, the, yeah. it's kind of like putting them all together into one. Right, you know? this one seems like it's bringing and maybe gathering a couple stories, right? Okay, yeah. The prince was amazed by Dong's nimbleness and ordered him to show his martial art. Dong then proceeded to demonstrate, spinning left and whirling right, overturning up and down as if he were flying. His performance was unfathomable. The prince was astonished and asked what his school of martial art was called. Although Dong had studied with his teacher for many years, he had never cared to know its name, and so he replied by coining a name impromptu on the spot. And answered, eight trigrams, Palm. The prince then assigned him the chief post in the palace. So that was it. He made up eight trigrams, Palm, on the spot. Hmm. Just like, yeah, let's call it eight trigrams, Palm. How's that? Which is interesting because that, that's kind of the opposite of the story that it's based, you know, so deeply rooted in the Bagua, you know. But, uh. Well, I mean, he probably said that because it had right? something to do with <laughs> Right, well, then again, there you but, go. You know. But the idea he sort of made it up on the spot is... is Kind of funny. Um, but people were, they were envious of Dong. They were envious of his success. They brought false accusations against him. And from there, he was welcomed into the homes of the imperial family. So he had to leave the palace. Um, so that's the story of Dong Aichuan's life before he leaves the palace. And uh, so, yeah, so we saw some commonalities there. The waitering, the ability to jump super high. Mm-hmm. What else? Uh, taught by the Taoists. Right, but this sort of put it, like I said, it puts it all together. It gives you the the mm. waiter story, the eunuch story, mm. right? The crime, the criminal story, mm. all of them kind of... Mixed. And also the bodyguard, Shah. He is a rival with right, Shah. Right. That, that guy keeps always... He seems to be a constant character. So let's look a little bit at the next part from the same book where he describes Dong's life after he left the palace. So there's a couple paragraphs here. Dong taught everyone, but he did not teach everything to anybody, which is a, that's an interesting statement. You know, see mm-hmm. what they're saying there? We're like, it seems like all his students got something slightly different. Like none of them got the whole system, maybe. Well, one of the things we looked at said that he, you know, purposefully or mm. you know, re- re- recognized that he probably couldn't pass it all on to one person. Mm. So he gave each guy, you know, a piece of it or a couple pieces of it, yeah. So that they they were. So, I think his image of it was they were all going to get together and hang out and share it after he died. But you know that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> right. Yeah, that seems like a possibility. One day, a certain couple was sitting in a room on the upper floor of the house. They heard a child laughing on the roof. They opened the window and they saw Dong Ai Chuan carrying a child on his back. He had just leaped up onto the roof with the child. Dong asked the child, shall I help you ride with the clouds to make you happy? That made the child laugh even more. That's an odd one. Yeah, okay. That one only involves the jumping part. Please don't drop my kid off. (laughs) The terrified parents. Well, he sounds like a fun-loving guy at least. Um, on another occasion, Dong was with a large number of young students discussing martial arts. Dong became annoyed with a group of birds sitting on the rooftop. He leaped up onto the roof and he grabbed three of them. Astounded, the students begged for instruction in the leaping art. Laughing, Dong said, why would you want to learn this art? Are you planning to become thieves? In the end, none was instructed in this leaping routine. So from this one, you can see the leaping ability is once again being highlighted, which it seems like this particular book has got a lot of the leaping stories in it. Yeah, well, that was one of his, you know, main skills right. that he was known for, I guess. Right, was. yeah. 
I mean, Ching Jing, as it's called, is like lightness skill oftentimes will be referred to. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on techniques like that? I don't have one. Really. I've never done it, so I don't know. I'm sure people can jump high. I mean, we've all seen people right. jump high. So I'm you know, sure that they, the, the idea that you could potentially train yourself to have a certain lightness in your energy that would help you jump higher... I don't doubt it, but I've never, you know, I mean, I don't, don't never met anyone who had that skill or right. even attempted to. I think it. back to Bagua Journal, they said in Taiwan, Zhang Jinfeng had a, the Taiwanese master had a board that they would lean up against the wall and you would run up and down it, make it like steeper mm-hmm. and steeper. So like to get yourself used to just jetting up one or two steps to like jump a really high distance running. Right. I mean, but I don't, yeah. you know, I mean, there are people who it's run up, soon. who can run up a you know, pretty much a straight brick right. wall, you know, that has nothing to do with internal stuff. So I just think that might have... Like rock climbers, you could just zip up. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just... Rock know, that he may have had some... He may have been pretty good at it at some level. Yeah. I mean, but, but he never teaches it to anybody, or at least hardly anybody. Right, I mean... I'm sure we'll see it again. So the next story. Once while collecting taxes for the overlord, he was surrounded by ten bandits, heavily armed with sharp weapons. Agile as a whirlwind, he broke through them and fought and subdued them. The bandits knelt before him in awe and begged for pardon and instruction. That's a good one. One against ten, Dong Chan comes mm. through. Like a whirlwind. So that sounds like the spinning techniques of Wagwa. Well, and that also points to the multiple attacker stuff mm. that's a big... You know. That does come up often in Bagua, yeah. I'm sure most martial arts fight against crowds, too, in their stories, but it definitely comes up here a lot. Let's see, here's the next one. Um, he challenged a wushu teacher to a duel. Dong brought out a spear and told the teacher to stab him with it. The man thrust the spear at Dong, but Dong blocked it with his arm and evaded more thrusts by stepping around. The wushu teacher could not touch him. For the last trial, the teacher suddenly thrust his spear with great strength towards Dong. The spear penetrated three inches into the wall, but he found that Dong had again evaded his thrust and was sitting on top of the wall. <laughs> Dong laughed at him and said, how strong you are. I should say your martial arts is just flamboyant and useless. Don't you agree? The Wushu teacher felt defeated and left without a word. Yeah. So Lightness clearly, they, you know, they, yeah, they emphasize his yeah. agility and his yeah. ability to like avoid things. That's true. All of them mentioned that. And I think maybe that's pointing to like, he's a higher level of martial artist. He doesn't like be, pulverize you with punch after punch. He quickly leaps away and you can't well, even touch him he's so good except you know? he knocked he's got high class knocked the infused front teeth out <laughs> right. in their first meeting and so. he beat 10 swordsmen <laughs> I mean, there's an, it's not like he didn't right. hit people I mean but they're you know maybe a little bit like that sense in internal martial arts there's always the sense of sort of a super composed relaxed master who wins sure, sure, one yeah, or two yeah, strokes yeah. you know no, and that's what you're saying but he's I mean, the master of that. but he well, I don't you know he wasn't clearly wasn't above just cracking someone <laughs> right. in the face either you know? <laughs> And then he's running on rooftops, you know, giving children a ride on his back. So, all right. So the end of Dong's life. In his old age, he became the epitome of his art, an extraordinary man of incomparable ability. He could perform his palm movement changes with amazing speed. He was able to know and sense what was happening nearby, even if he was being blindfolded and with his ears plugged. That's interesting because that's that's a Bagua idea of your awareness is so good that you see people out of sort of the corners of your eyes or by turning real quick, you can see along, you know, you keep your awareness is And what Mogwi said about, you know, him sitting with his eyes closed, mm. describing what he was doing. Right. So Don would sometimes teach with his eyes closed. Yeah. Right. And here he's fighting with his eyes closed. 
when he was lying on his deathbed, some of his students attempted to adjust his clothing to comfort him. He leaped up suddenly and took a knife from the wall and put himself in posture to fight. <clears throat> so ready, he, uh, ready to brawl till the right. end. Discarding the knife, he lay down in bed again. As he was lying on his bed and knowing that he was close to death, he practiced his changing palm forms. His last instructions to his student was to uphold the honor of Bagwajong, to publicize it, and to support the school and show worn shirt sleeves. In other words, to be diligent. So that's the last advice of, of Dong Ai Chuan, the founder of Bagua. Some good ones in there. Mm-hmm. Now looking at the uh, 36 and 48 traditional verses of Bagua Zhang, um, these have been interesting and purported to be for Master Dong Ai Chuan himself, his advice or his, his, the things he used to say in class. Um, I wanted to start again with a little piece from Andrea Falk's A Shadow of Fallen Blossoms, which is a great book that talks about these, these writings of Bagua from uh, 2017. So Andrea mentions there's this, there's this Bagua cult, which is part of a Taoist movement that may have been revolutionaries in the late 1800s. And she says here, it has been suggested that the name Baguajang comes from the Bagua cult called Bagua Jiao that appeared during the Qing period. At first, the cult was not anti-government, but gradually became so after governmental oppression of folk cults. From the mid-1700s through the early 1800s, many leaders of the sect were imprisoned, and the sect led uprisings from time to time. The growth of the Bagua cult coincided with the peak of popularity of Baguazhang in Beijing, the years 1866 to 1894. Analyzing historical materials, the appearance of Baguazhang during the Qing dynasty coincided with and was inextricably linked to the folk cult called the Bagua cult. And moreover, practically all Baguazhang practitioners were members of the Bagua cult. This would be an interesting avenue to explore, although if I were a member of an illegal cult, I would not lend its name to something I taught every day in a public park. So she covers the argument pretty well there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my guess is maybe they were just taking a popular term. Mm, yeah. So everyone was pumped on the idea. So, so they just used so that as the both name. the cult and the martial artists and a whole bunch of other people probably. Right. You know, mm -hmm. if you if you say I do the bagua, you know, because that just means I do the you know, eight changes right, version right. of something. The same way you might say I do the five element, you know, mm -hmm. golf training <laughs> right. or something you know like right, right, right. you could call it whatever you want you know it's just using it's a that. brand name that you could slap i mean because the last story about dong Ai did say that he came up he with just, it off the top of right his head. right because everyone's talking about bagua so uh, and it's like if everyone was talking about beanie babies you could say the beanie baby you know moderate martial art the beanie i mean there but there you know there also is probably a grain of truth to that you know there were mm. lots of uh political rebellions and things like that mm -hmm. and martial artists were sometimes part of that oftentimes right a lot of times those things were tied to weird religious cults too right. so you know secret societies revolutionaries crime syndicates all that stuff is going on but if she's saying that a bunch of people have confirmed that they were part of that cult then yeah you know, it, it, that's the first i've heard of it but it that sounds interesting doesn't i mean sure yeah yeah yeah, and then the martial art may have spun off from those guys and sort of taken its own direction ever since. Well, boxers as a, you know, I mean, during the Boxer Rebellion, you know, they were all considered, you know, sort of cult-like. You know, it didn't matter what, because that's just how Westerners saw it, you know. Right. That, you know, if you're going around doing funny movements 
with a picture of a guy on your wall, you know, the Western, and it, they just kind of say, oh, that must be some sort of weird cult because, right. you know, obviously you're supposed to worship our guy on <laughs> right. the wall, you know? <laughs> right. There's a lot of cross-cultural room for misunderstandings, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's look at uh, another one of these uh, classical formulas. So these are from the 48 methods. This one's called the application method. Hit low on the tall man, strike high on the short man. Use angle attacks on the fat man. Throw or pull down the thin man. Simply glare at the old man. So that one's kind of tongue-in-cheek humor in there. Yeah, I mean, it also has that thing of, like, don't fight someone who's not worth fighting. But, mm, yeah. You know, why are you going to waste your time beating up an old guy? Right. I mean, but it's also... morality there. You know, it's also, if you're an old guy teaching martial arts, kind of a nice little hook to put in there. Like, hey, you don't fight old people. You know, that's, <laughs> I'm but, person that, yeah. but those first ones are sort of like, you know, uh, it's kind of the equivalent of, you know, if they go high, I go low. If they go low, I go high. Sure. Right? You're just using opposites to you know, not meet them mm-hmm. force on force, right? Yeah. But it, you're, you're trying to meet them somewhere else. Right. Go where their weakness is, basically. Right. Attack their weak point. You can use a yanking on the thinner, weak, you know, person with less weight, but a big fat person, you have to find the right spot to go after him because you can't just slug away at him. So that's a good one. Classic martial knowledge. You know, it could go for any of these styles, probably. And so the next one is compressing the joints. Three joints on the arms and legs. Palms coordinate with the steps. Shoulders, waist, knees, hips, and elbows are useful. Body moves to follow the steps. So talk about the joints on the arms and legs. So that must mean the yeah, shoulder, that, elbow, wrist kind of combo that you often I, see. I mean, to me, that sounds like a rephrasing of the six harmonies thing. Mm, you know, sounds a lot like it, yeah. You're just pairing up body parts to be, mm. to be more stable. Yep. That's a big Bagua thing. And then palms coordinate with the steps. So once again, I mean, how many times it said it? You know? Yeah, that's... It's like the feet and the hands just have an obsessive connection. And then it just lists a couple of different ways to strike. Knees, hips, waist, etc. Yeah, again, I think that's just the idea that your whole body is the weapon, right? Not just your fist. Hmm. Uh Uh-huh, the body moves to follow the steps. Again, that emphasis on body, you know, oftentimes in Bagua training, there's a... It's not just what you're doing with your hands. It's how you're using your body to power that action. So, you know, it's a Bagua classic once again. So the next one, analyzing the opponent method. Many are the styles and variations in the martial arts. Mix long fists and short strikes. The quicker you are, the slower I am. Release power that is undefeatable. Release power must mean Fa Jing. Probably. Um, but yeah, again, there's that opposite thing, right? You know. Mm. You go fast, I go slow. Mm. The quicker you are, the slower I am. So that I can hit with my sort of whole body power at the right moment. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of just like a gangster rapper talking smack. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of these guys out there, but we're better than all of them. Well, that's what I mean. Most of these things are kind of um, sort of half instructional and half just uh, promotional. 
Mm, yeah. You know, it's like you're, you're, I I kind of like it because a lot of the previous ones were a little bit theoretical or mystical, but his just sound like straight up. But slogans. I mean, most most of them always end with something like, "If you do this, you will be invincible." Mm -hmm. You know, there's some sort of hook at the end. Yeah, there's you know, a little pitch to it. Yeah, for sure. Because it's 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 unwise to say, you know, if you do what I do, nothing will you right. know, You'll you'll never fail because lots of people <laughs> fail. But, but it does sound like Dong Ai Chun was something of a braggart. <laughs> right, but you but you also want to say, you know, but if you do the work, you can get right. to that level, it's right? But it's it's like there's always that thing of, you know, the the supreme man can get to this level, but, you know, you have to work at it. And I think that's just kind of the... Yeah. That there's a... an attempt to be like a higher you know highbrow kind of thing where it's mm -hmm. you know you're not just uh doing it just to get into a scrap with somebody that there's this like you know you're above all that kind of but at the same time you'll smack somebody if they need a smacking right. yeah there's a there's i mean yeah the there's an honor there because the idea that you could do baga Bagajong without doing martial arts is is complete horseshit. I mean, there's absolutely no way you could call what you're doing Bagajong if you're not doing the martial art part of it because that's at least half of the training is right. the vehicle for the training is through the martial arts. Um, so you know you can't just walk circles and do funny movements by yourself. Right and expect your you know your art to actually have any right thing in it you know there's a flow back and forth from testing it out against resistance then training for seven years around a tree then testing it out and you go back and forth yeah and you learn things from getting hmm. you know smacked around hmm. that you don't learn from just imagining that you're the best right. person that's ever done this right you know because that's what everybody does when they're by themselves is they think they're doing everything right and that they're probably the best person that's ever done it. <laughs> Up there, you know. And Yeah, or so. at least top ten, right? I'm top ten. <laughs> but then you go and you test it with somebody who, you know, been doing it longer than you. You might not have the same experience. And so Bagua, Shin, Tai Chi, they were all very emphatic about the idea that, um, you know, don't dilute yourself into thinking that, this is magic. You have to train, you have right. to do the work and you might get to a magical point if you stick with it. But, uh, you, you know, it doesn't start off. It's not a, it's not a switch you can flip, right. you know, it's like, it's not the easy way to go. Well, here's another one. Dissolving joint locks method where he talks about a little more practical advice. So here, don't envy joint lock skills. When both hands grab one, the power's stuck. Push over the head to dissolve the joint lock. Thrusting palms to the nose and eyes are more powerful. I mean, here you got Dong Hai Chuan, the founder, the the most Taoist guy in the whole thing. <laughs> and most of what he's talking about is kicking somebody's ass. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it, and those are just sort of... Um, I, I think that's like... A a rebuttal to a popular thing, mm, right? right? So joint locks are a very popular form of martial art. Right. You know, chin, uh, right. You know, Throughout history, everybody to, loves to, wrestling. You know, to jujitsu and, right. you know, so it's like, 
saying, okay, well, joint locks are useless against me is, mm. a, is a pretty big kind of flex, right. you know, That's it's like, it's, it's like, so he's just, you know, he's not saying, you know, don't even try. Yeah. He's, he's not saying, you know, uh, I'm the best in the, well, he kind of is, but you know, he's saying like, there's a, you're just at a higher level. You're playing a different game mm. and that, that, that this, you know, sort of try to grab me and twist me thing just isn't going to cut the, you know, right. isn't going to cut the mustard, you know? And he's got the point that if you try to grab two hands against one somebody's one hand to put a wrist lock on, they've got a hand free. So Absolutely. that's a you know good point there. Well, I mean, that was one of the very first things I ever learned was if somebody tries to put a joint lock on, you punch them in the face. With your open hand. Right? Yeah. yeah. Just don't try to struggle with the right. joint lock. Just use your free hand and punch them as hard as you can in the face. That does you tend know? to get in the way of a joint lock. <laughs> I mean, and if you want to put a joint lock on somebody, punch them in the right. face first. <laughs> it's good then advice put, either way. <laughs> it's like you don't, you don't just put a joint lock on somebody. Right. It's not as easy as it sounds. So he says thrusting palms to the nose and eyes are more powerful. So that's a bagua attack is the thrusting palm. So he's like, don't bother with wrist locks. Just thrust at their face and their I eyes. Know, so yeah. Savagely attacking their face might help more. Yeah, because a, a joint lock is a way of controlling someone. You know, but it, it it's a slow way to hurt right. Someone. It's got disadvantages you know, that come you, with. You've it. you've got to hold. You know, you got to hold that joint. You've got to push on it pretty damn hard and keep pushing on it if you're going to break it. Right. You know, and that's going to take a, a while then, in, yeah. in fighting terms. Where you know, right? They're doing a, everything a, to get out. A piercing palm to knock out your two front mm. teeth is almost <laughs> instant. You know, that's what he did to poor Ian Fu. Yeah, just. Well, and also they're saying here maybe once you get out of the joint lock, you're in good position to do that stab, right? I mean, that's... And I know the Bagua schools that I've visited and trained with, you do joint locks and then you practice sort of twisting your arm as a joint lock is being point on to like get ahead of it kind of and like break free from it and use those Bagua circles as a yeah, and all anti-joint in, All locking. internal martial arts have a mm, basic Tai Chi does that for sure. Basic principle that you... The reason you don't lock your joints when you do a strike is because it's a lot harder to put a joint lock on a bent arm mm. than it is on a straight one. Mm. So, you know, the, the 70% rule applying to not going too far right. out or too far in, part of that is that you, you have a buffer zone so that if someone tries to put a joint lock on you, you've got, you know, a good four or five inches you can still move right. before it's going to do anything to you. Right, it. so there's some spring there. It's like a, yeah, you just have a buffer. So here's a, here's a nice finishing one, confusing the opponent method. When his hand comes, my hand is waiting. If I turn my body, he will withdraw. My hand enters when his hand withdraws. Three thrusting palms before he can attack again. So there's another of that yin-yang, you're... When his hand comes, my hand's waiting to block. If if I turn my body, he will withdraw. Right, but then it says punch him in the face a bunch of times. <laughs> my hand enters when his hand withdraws. So if he tries to step back, then you follow up with thrusting palms. Right. So yeah, it reminds me of the idea of Nrosha where you're getting to intuitively feel as a person they they start to make a motion to back up. You press the attack. You kind of your body feels it happening before your mind necessarily even notices it. And you got to have that a bit of an aggressive attitude to if they try to withdraw, just take advantage quickly. Yeah, it's one one strategy. I mean, there's there's a lot of different methods to it. I mean, I think that's what he's describing here is just 
these are different approaches to different attacks, basically. And so it's like, you know, if they do this, you do that. Right. If they do that, you do this. But they're vague enough so that you could apply it to a foot, a hand, a mm-hmm. throw. But, you know, basically it's sort of like... Those thrusting palms do come up a lot. That's one technique that specifically comes up. Not too many individual techniques, but that thrusting palm seems to be one of Dong Chan's yeah, favorite. Well, it's one of those... Favorite moves for sure. But but thrusting palm could also just, I mean, palm could refer to any number of different, you know, hand shapes. Like mm-hmm. it could just be saying palm Fair as. as right. They know. could be fist drilling, whatever. Right. Whatever it could you want to hit with. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes palm is the fleshy part of the middle of right. your hand. That's what you're saying. But sometimes it's the it edge. It could just be the sometimes word for technique, just like Chuan kind of. Well, you know, if you're hitting somebody with the edge of your hand, it's a mm-hmm. different technique than... Right. The, so it could the, be thrusting with the tips of your palm or thrusting with right. the edge. But your hand's in the same shape. It's right. Just, you, it has, you know, eight different surfaces right. on so it. So clearly the idea of drilling forward with your hand in some kind of shape was... A key Bagua technique from day sure. one, according to this. But you can, and you know, can you, see it in every form now. People just thrust as they advance. You can, and thru- you can thrust with, you know, a knife, a spear, mm-hmm. a, you know, a, mm-hmm. a staff. A, you know, right. so like there's different weapons right. you can do the same motion sure. with. You're gonna have to sooner or later thrust if yeah. you want to defeat your opponent. Yeah, I don't, but I don't necessarily think they're saying you only you know, are going to use one. Mm part of your hand it's sort mm-hmm. of like it's like where the word fist doesn't necessarily always mean, mean a, a specific the fist. front part of your right. fist it means the whole thing and right does any, it means all the different possibilities right and any piece of your hand can be you know your palm in a sense all right good one hey folks isaac here uh just a reminder check out the instagram for images to go along with the episodes check out the patreon for the interviews bonus content and exclusive episodes Thanks again for listening. Thanks for all your support and take care of yourself.